This is Taste for Tenacity, show number four. At the end of the day, all businesses is working with other people to solve problems. Are you ready? She said she ready. 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 But as long as she took, she better look like Halle Berry. I said she said she ready. What's going on, everybody? My name is Ben Trella, the host of Taste for Tenacity. This week, I'm joined by Matt Rowling. Matt is the director of the accounting program at Wayne State University. He started his career at an automaker and quickly moved into the consulting space, working at both a private consulting firm and a public consulting firm. He spent time managing portfolio companies and eventually left to join a startup. It's really tough to pick out what part of this conversation is my favorite because we touch on so many different things. We touch on figuring out what works for you. We talk about how to start your career and what to look for. This advice is particularly useful for young professionals. If you're watching the YouTube version of this interview, uh, it's only the audio, so I just took some pictures and videos of like space and nature. Hope you enjoy them. Hope it's kind of relaxing. With that being said, let's get to the show. Matt, thanks for joining me. Can you give me a quick sense of your background? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, grew up in Wisconsin, studied accounting, moved to Detroit after college to work for one of the automakers. Spent a lot of time uh, falling in love with Detroit, frankly, and, and also working in consulting. About eight or nine years ago, I had the opportunity to work with Dan Gilbert's family office, Rock Ventures, you know, right as the city was really starting to turn the corner. And uh, for about five or six years, you know, the, the team that I worked with, we spent a lot of time putting the parts together for uh, Gilbert's casino business and his real estate business, which was really an honor, a pleasure, a lot of fun. We learned a lot. And after a lot of those businesses had really had their, their platforms built out, I uh, had the chance to, to lead one of the startups in the Detroit Venture Partners portfolio until it uh, died, which is what 90% of startups <laughs> do. Okay. Um, and uh, along the way, I'd been teaching as an adjunct lecturer at Wayne State, which really brought me a lot of joy. And uh, as, the, as the business was failing, my predecessor at Wayne State kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, this isn't for me, but it might be for you. And uh, I'd like you to think about leading the, the academic accounting department at, at Wayne State. And uh, here I am eight months later. <laughs> yeah. So a bit of a journey there. Yeah. When you graduated from Wisconsin, did you know you wanted to come to Detroit specifically or were you more just looking for an automaker experience? Why, why Detroit? Oh, uh, the big driver, the big launching point for most young people is, uh, you know, internships. And I'd had an internship at General Motors in college, and that had exposed me to Detroit, uh, which theretofore Detroit had been an abstraction for me. So with that internship and, and seeing the city uh, and really learning its history and its grittiness and, and kind of the underdog vibe, I was excited to move here in 2003, if you can believe that. Suffice to say, I was the only person from the University of Wisconsin's business school that moved to Detroit in 2003. Okay. So really, you got here and realized how much you loved the culture. And even at a point where groundwork was being laid, you really just enjoyed the overall culture of the Detroit space. It is, and even more so was, a really interesting place to be as a young person. One of my favorite quotes is, the happiest the Beatles were was right before they became famous. And for a lot of people with Detroit's renaissance, the 2000s, which were marked by, in a lot of ways, the bottom, for a lot of people in my life, they were starting to build businesses, starting to build nonprofits, starting to run for political office in a way that 
was only accessible here, right? For a 25-year-old to start a business in Chicago, LA, New York, San Francisco, is kind of a rich man's indulgence. But here in Detroit, there's a freedom and liberty and access that I think is rare in major US cities. And, and I think that's what made it really fun and really special. There's more of a blank slate for you to work on compared to other cities that had been you know, more established and had their niche really crafted at that point. Yeah, and, and I know some people have misgivings calling Detroit a blank slate because obviously there are people here and there's a, there's a rich culture, especially African-American culture of entrepreneurship that I think is ignored or taken for granted by mainstream Detroit media. Uh, because there were a lot of barbershops, grocery stores, et cetera, that, that really helped keep, keep this city going when a lot of you know, traditional mainstream businesses had left. But it's, it's hard to argue that for a good generation, talented young people didn't think about Detroit as a place they wanted to start with their careers. And so for the talented young people that were here, they had a lot of elbow room. A lot more room to breathe and a lot expand. More, a lot more breathing room, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so you leave Wisconsin, move to Detroit, you start with an automaker. As you had been in the automotive space, what caused the shift from an automaker to a family office and managing portfolio companies? I think my global guidance to any young person is you should work with people that are smarter than you and you should work with people that you look at as models for who you want to be down the road. And an automaker is a safe, stable place to work and make a living. And I didn't see myself as somebody that wanted to have a safe, stable career. And so the, the auto business and I didn't really mesh and I found myself quickly working at PricewaterhouseCoopers as a consultant. You know, another piece of advice I try to share with young people is if you hate your job, 35 hours goes by very slowly, and if you love your job, 65 hours goes by very quickly. Yes, working at a large consulting firm, you work a lot of hours, but you get to work on a lot of cool projects, you get to meet a lot of neat people, and you grow, at least for me. And, uh, and that's what's really important when you're young is swinging as hard as you can so you get those growth opportunities, right? I mean, someday you're gonna be 40 or 50 and you're gonna have two kids and a mortgage and uh, your risk threshold will start to ebb. But when you're 22, 23, heck, 30, 32, 33, it's still okay to swing for the fences unless you have other obligations that take precedent. It's really interesting to note too, when you love the work, it doesn't feel like work. For me, I spend a lot of time working and doing a lot of different things, but it's fun for me. And so I never feel like, oh, I dread the work I'm going to because it's something I enjoy doing. And that takes the edge out of the typical, oh, I hate my job, I hate work. Because I enjoy the work and I love what I do. And that makes it a lot more fun to get up and head to the office and to spend late nights editing the podcast or different video content or whatever I might come out with it makes it fun. Absolutely. And I think the two big guardrails that a lot of people face are, number one, they don't know what they like, or number two, they feel familial or social pressure to point their career in a certain direction. The, the first issue is easier to solve than the second. The first issue is really just a matter of trying things and having the courage to step away from something that doesn't feel right. 
the second issue is a little bit harder and probably beyond the scope of this podcast, then it's not something I can help people solve quickly. It's being able to, to taste different things and also start to realize that if it's something you want to do and if it's the right work in the right lifestyle for you, then that's the way you should go and try and acknowledge where those pressures are coming from and then continue to take a step in your direction anyway, because that's where you'd prefer to be. I don't mean to sound dire, but we're all going to die someday. And, and you only have so many breaths. And if you're not using those breaths to do things that you know, really fulfill you and make you happy, then you, know, you really need to rethink what you're doing. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no better way to say it. There's no, there's no better, there's no, there's no better reminder of the urgency with which you have to find your passion in life than the fact that you know we're all, we're all only here for a limited amount of time. We're on the clock. Figure out what you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. You leave and head to PwC. You leave the automaker, mm-hmm. head to PwC as a consultant. What types of skills did you learn there? What types of experience did you gain from that, that consulting time? I think it was Malcolm Gladwell with this whole concept of the uh, 10,000 10,000 hours. 10, hours. Yeah, you know, I had I had a master's degree in accounting and I had a CPA license and I really didn't get to the point where I felt comfortable looking at financial information, interpreting it and making decisions based on it until I'd worked at PwC for about 4 years. And uh, the work that I did there was as a mergers and acquisitions consultant. And I think the easiest way to express it is that we were essentially a home inspector for companies that were either being purchased or sold. Okay. And so a private equity firm was buying an auto supplier. They would say, we think that the cash flows and the profits of this business are X. Therefore, we think the business is worth Y. You guys go interview the, the leadership and beat up their forecast and dig into the weeds. Tell us where there's either value that we're not seeing or risks that we're not seeing. Uh, and so that that was really the, the primary role that we served and the work that I learned how to do. The two skills that I really learned were, were one, truly understanding financial information, but two, and almost more importantly, looking at financial information creates questions. It doesn't necessarily answer them. But you can also use financial information to challenge people on what they tell you, right? And that's, I think, the single most essential analytical skill that leaders need because you can have a management team that's saying all the right things. But if the financial information doesn't support what they're saying, there's a disconnect. And if you don't know how to understand financial information in a very deep level, you really don't have a leg to stand on or the ability to challenge what people are telling you. And that, when you're thinking of buying a company for $500 million, that's I mean, a big deal. That's a big deal. It seems like one of the big skills you also learned is how to peel back an extra layer of questions to really see the underlying trends on what's happening within the business along with understanding how financial information tells a story. And that's one thing I've really learned throughout my accounting experience is the numbers are just a story. We as accountants record the story, report it to the people who need to know what's happening. And so it's very interesting to hear, not only did you learn how to do that analysis, but then you learned what it's actually telling you. That's absolutely the case. And, and so I, I really try to impress that upon the younger students at Wayne State that haven't yet picked a major. I say, look, if you want to be the boss someday, however you get there, you have to understand financial information. Yes, leaders have to understand strategy and people, but they also have to understand financial information. No way around it. You spend time at PwC. 
you learned these skills? You said it was a period of like four years. Around what time was this? Because you started in 03 in Detroit. How long were you at the automaker? Oh, about a year. A year, year or so? Or two. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was like a transplant where the body rejects it. I mean, everyone has to find their own path and, and you really have to be true to yourself, but it just wasn't the right start for me for my career. Your career is a marathon. And if you trip out of the starting gate, it's okay. It's yeah. not over. You have 26 yeah. more miles to make <laughs> you it have, up. You have 26.19, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Life always feels serious and we're all prisoners of the moment. But wherever you start your career is not this penultimate decision that will make or break you. Um, so two interesting stories. Um, in about 2006, 2007, I was uh, in my partner's office with a couple other people just kind of talking about what's going on in the business world. And in the paper, there was an announcement that uh, Jay Alex, who had founded Alex Partners, had sold half of his firm to a private equity fund for, I don't know, 400 bazillion dollars. And, you know, I'm this impressionable 26-year-old, and the partner casually, carelessly looks up and he says, yeah, but they attract a higher caliber of people than we do. And in the back of my young mind, I'm like, oh boy, I'm working at the wrong place. And, and for those listening, Jay Alex really pioneered the turnaround and restructuring business, which is essentially emergency room doctor for companies. And a year and a half later, we had the Great Recession and the M&A world ground to a halt. And all of a sudden there was a lot of restructuring and turnarounds and bankruptcies. And, and, and just for your own edification, restructuring refers to fixing a balance sheet and turnaround refers to fixing a business. So one's operational, one's financial. That's good to know. So when the recession hit, I, I said, well, the work here is done and I want something exciting to do. And had a friend of a friend that worked at Alex Partners and next thing you know, I was working there. And in a kind of a weird twist of, of the circularity of life, uh, about a year later, I, was, I spent two years working on General Motors bankruptcy. Wow. Yeah. Full circle there. Very quickly, yes. Yep, two years working on burying the bones of old General Motors. Of all of your first couple engagements to work on at a new company, taking it all the way back to your professional roots like that must have been just interesting, for lack of a more colorful word. Life, life gets so tiny. Um, my last project at PwC, Dow Chemical, was purchasing a uh, company in Philadelphia, and we were working on the deal. And uh, as is often the case with M&A, the deal had a very large uh, debt component. And this deal was struck prior to the crash and was faltering because the debt markets dried up. I think it ultimately was saved, but the acquirer Dow and the target got into commercial litigation. Yeah. And one of my first projects at Alex was actually preparing an expert witness to help out. And so I'm doing this discovery work and, you know, with discovery work, you have reams and reams and reams and reams of information, right? Yeah. And so I, I'm like, you know, I wonder what would happen. And so I enter my last name and I find emails that I had sent working on the project. Oh, my gosh. As a PwC consultant. Wow. You know, so it's it just kind of, <laughs> so be careful what you put in an email. And like, life is very, life is circular and very small. And you'll never know when that will pop back up. Oh gosh, yes, yes. <laughs> I've, I've, I've burned plenty of bridges in my life, but most of them I've transited in a way that I can transit them back and forth. Yeah, it was really, really kind of odd, really peculiar. <laughs>
It's like Googling your own name, except with discovery work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, well, it's a good thing I didn't say anything bad. Yeah. <laughs> so. Good thing I'm good at this. Good thing, I'm a good yeah. person. <laughs> yeah, most of, the, most of the time. Most of the time. We're all good people most of the time. You head over to Alex from PwC. Mm-hmm. What was the next shift in your career path? PwC really helped me build a core competency, which was interpreting financial information. And everyone, I think, needs a core competency to hang their hat on, right? If it's sales, if it's if it's creative content, if it's software development, if it's accounting information, whatever. Like we all kind of need something that we're good at. Pipe fitting, cosmetology, you name it. You need something you're good at. Yeah. Um, what the work at Alex did was it really gave me the confidence to, to execute at a very high level. Um, when you come into a situation where you have a company that's two weeks away from missing a bond payment or three weeks away from missing payroll, politics is gone, half measures are gone, you really are are fighting for the survival of an organization. And uh, in those circumstances, you know, we were expected to come in and execute. And what, you know, what I mean by that is I remember uh, working on a project, a trucking company, and you know, my, my boss said, hey, you know, you've really got to work with the, the bank to, to get this credit agreement renegotiated. And I said, oh, well, I've, I've never done that before. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, and <laughs> so many lives and so much of a life is so incremental, right? And, uh, and then all of a sudden you kind of get thrown in, into the fire and you come out the other end and you're okay. And so walking the tightrope without a net which I think, again, so critical for young people to, to have those opportunities because so much of life in the business world feels really scary and really intimidating. And then once you walk across and, and you realize that, you know, we're not brain surgeons and if you fall off the rope, you you really just stub your toe or twist your ankle at, yeah. uh, at worst. You fall a foot. <laughs> you're, you're like, heck, I'm just going to walk across every rope I see, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's hard to get those experiences because... Most of the time, you're plugging into a larger organization, and they're afraid of you making a mistake. You're afraid of making a mistake, and so your growth becomes very incremental, right? So it's it's hard for young people to get those opportunities. But you know, once you've built that core competency, and once you have that underlying confidence, you have a lot more freedom to push things and. And then the, the final putting it all together piece, and, and, and it really is the capstone, is people. You know, that's, that's where your life goes from, you know, comfortable, healthy, making it to changing the world. Now, when you say people, what, what specifically? Are you talking building the right team or just making the right connections? All the above. I was uh, hosting a leadership summit with um, three PwC partners or well, they weren't just PwC. They were they were from different big four firms. There's probably about 40 or 50 business school students in the audience, and I asked the partners about how much do people make at these places. And uh, as they were talking, I had a really interesting revelation. You know, es- essentially, when you reach the the step before partner at a firm, is generally called director or senior manager. And a director or senior manager probably makes between $100,000 and $200,000, depending upon their line of service, the size of the firm, blah, 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 yeah. right? A partner usually makes between four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, a million, two million, right? And when you're a director or senior manager, 
you have reached the pinnacle of execution. You can do the work as well as anyone. The only difference between a partner and director or senior manager is the team, the people, right? Can they sell business? Can they hire people? Can they fire people? Can they set a strategy, right? So that what that tells you is at least in the accounting world, the people piece is worth 10x the execution piece, hmm. roughly, 6x, five Ballpark. or 6x, Ballpark. right? Ballpark, yeah. So, <laughs> so if that isn't a more, you know, and if, and if anyone has trouble counting people stuff, it's accountants, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And so, and so accountants value people skills, roughly 4x execution skills. That human quality and those soft skills become incredibly more valuable than the technical skills they're built on once you get to that level because building out that technical acumen is very important but you also need the human component to complement it look you don't have to i mean there's nothing wrong with making a hundred thousand dollars a year yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah it, it's about how far how, how far you want to take the trajectory of your career um and your interests, skills capacity i mean you know you really have to be honest with yourself if you want to be home at five every day to see your kids or you just want more time to relax and there's no shortcut. I mean, hard work, spending time, getting to know people. I mean, if you want to have an amazing, amazing career, um, it, it takes a lot of work. I, I don't care who you are. But, but the people piece is so critical. And, and, and everyone talks, I think everybody talks about it, but I think it can be treated as a hard skill and the greats treat it like a hard skill, but it's it's not typically a component of a formal education. And what I mean by that is, uh, if you kind of break it into its component parts, right? You can you can you can have mentors, right? You can you can shadow great leaders at at a workplace, right? You can uh, learn how to negotiate. You can learn uh, how to how to dress well. Mm -hmm. You can learn uh, how to shake hands. You yeah. can learn how public speaking, right? You can, you, and you can find opportunities to practice those things. So I really don't understand why soft skills haven't, why no one has really done a better job of taking soft skills and turning them into a curriculum because it's not that different, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not as precise or technical as debits and credits, but, you know, obviously it's much more important. It's still another skill set. It's another skill set. And I've had the opportunity to work with people in this town who are masters, hmm. absolute masters. And many of them, they make it look easy, but it's not. <laughs> um, you know, the book, right, is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. came mm. out in the 1930s, probably still sells a million copies a year. I have one on my shelf. The title is a little misleading. It should really say, how to win friends and influence people you don't like. <laughs> uh, a quick, uh, quick name change yeah. will serve that one well. <laughs> just, just a little amendment to the title there, Dale. Hopefully you won't mind. So something you've been alluding to in, throughout this conversation is finding what you want. Could you dive into that a little bit more for me? It's a, it's a personal thing. Um, and I think it's something that I try to be thoughtful about when I give people advice it's important to get out of your own head and remove your own ego. If you'd asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I was 25, I would have told you I wanted, I would want to be the CFO of a middle market 
company because mm-hmm. that made a lot of sense and it sounded really cool. And, and if you ask me that question today, I, I don't think that that's something that I would be very interested in. Sometimes, you know, you, you go through your education and you work with people and you read about things in the newspaper like General Motors and Google and Apple and, and you think you kind of fall in love with this idea of like scale. And, and I'm, I am going somewhere with this. But, you know, one of the things that I realized about myself is that I really, really, really prefer working with smaller scale ideas. I kind of built a core competency. Thank goodness my core competency can flex and scale. Mm-hmm. But I, I really learned mine through working with larger scale organizations. I've learned in the last five, six, seven years, especially with my time at Rock, that I like the ideation space. And, and really, one of my things that I really enjoy doing is working with someone else who has an awesome idea and, and driving that idea forward And uh, when it's messy. And maybe that comes from the DNA of working at a restructuring firm where I crave that excitement and the uncertainty. And the high energy, too. The energy. So I like fixing things, and I like pushing ideas forward. And I don't know if I really knew that about myself until I was probably in my early 30s. <laughs> Some people figure it out sooner. And, and, that's, and that's really not an answer to your question because that's really just what I like to do. And, and right now I'm using that at Wayne because I want to see the accounting program grow and be successful because I believe in the product, right? Maybe someday it'll be something else because there are things in this world that I wish were different and I, hopefully there's ways that I can use those skills to, to make them better. You really have to listen to the little voice in your stomach and know that life is very self-selecting. What you choose to do with your time, you kind of can't help but find like-minded people. And, and I think that's an important piece of it is when you see people doing cool things, you should go do that too, or at least be around them. Because it's starting to appeal to your side and your interests. Yeah, yeah. And the first time I heard this quote, I really didn't like it because uh, I thought it kind of ruined self-determination for me. The older I get, the more I really believe it. And it's, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. Choose those five people carefully. When you say you have to figure out what you want to do and how you want to spend your time, and that's that's something that evolves, as we can see in your story. We're constantly learning along the way. How does a younger person and a younger professional start to learn and and figure out what they actually want to do? Because it's such an important part of both your career and your personal life. I'll try to do my best to answer that question because it really depends upon each person's journey. There's a another common business axiom. As you can say, I like to use quotes because there's nothing original about me. It's uh, people don't leave companies, they leave managers or bosses, and which is really important. The other side of that coin is that people don't grow from companies that experience growth from managers or leaders. And so having people above you that drive you and push you and inspire you is so important. It's, it's so critical. And if, and if you don't feel like you have that where you are, leave. You, you have to leave because otherwise you're, you're stagnating. And you're stifling your growth. You're stifling your growth because a good leader is going to p- put you first. And they're going to put your development ahead of just about anything because they're going to want you to win. A good leader knows that if they put you first, you'll put the work first. You'll put the mission first. And bad leaders, they're not called leaders. They're called, you know, they might manage from authority or fear or greed or whatever. That's, that's really not true leadership. Good leaders will inspire you. They'll give you at-bats. They'll give you chances to make mistakes. They'll, 
They'll give you corrective action feedback. They'll hold you accountable, do things you don't like sometimes. But that's that's being around people that inspire you is, is the easiest way to grow and explore. And being around people that uh, stifle you or, or hurt you or you know, not to exaggerate, but, but oppress you, you're going to be stuck. It's right? not healthy. And in those situations, you've got to have the courage to pull the, pull the ripcord and get out of town. Yeah. The other suggestion I would have, which was really, really critical for me, is um, you know, getting involved with nonprofits. We are talking earlier about confidence in, in trying things. And when I was 25, the odds of me being the treasurer of a $5 million, $50 million organization were slim. And yet you could go to a nonprofit in your spare time and say, hey, uh, do you need financial leadership help? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yes, please. please. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you make mistakes and they still give you a pat on the back and a hug and thank you. And so I think that nonprofits serve really three, three critical points. First and foremost, they, they can fulfill you if you care about the mission and, and actually want them to do well, right? Mm-hmm. Number two, they give you a chance to meet more like-minded community leaders. Okay. And, and, and so it really helps you grow your network. Most people should generally appreciate those two points. Yeah. But the third point, which I think is the most interesting one, is working with nonprofits gives you a chance to ride the bike with the training wheels in a way that everyone's cool with and is usually a couple years ahead of your development. No one likes fundraising. The single most valuable skill in the Western world is the ability to ask other human beings for money. That like there's there there isn't like second place is very far down the list. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't even know what second place is. You've spent time at nonprofits. You've gone from a brief stint with an automaker to time in consulting at two different firms. Mm-hmm. You've spent time in a family office, and that sparked your interest in working on small scale companies and, like you said, helping other people build their own visions. And now you're doing that at Wayne State. Could you tell me a bit about that? It's uh, it's really interesting. I um, when I I started my uh, college career at a, a community college. My my mom was a single parent. I was not a high-achieving high school student. There really weren't a lot of options. And uh, my first year in community college, I had an accounting professor. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I remember she asked uh, the group a question. You know, she said, "Hey, if if you could take advantage of a two percent discount on an invoice, but you had to borrow money from a bank for two weeks at five percent, would you do it?" The whole room said no. You know, I raised my hand and I'm like, yeah, of course you would. Are you kidding? She's like, you, <laughs> why, did, why did you say that? And I said, well, you're only borrowing the money for two weeks. And she's like, she kind of <laughs> gives, me, gives me a hug. Um, and so, you know, Professor Fisher, she took me under her wing, you know, to that point, my part-time jobs, I consisted of selling shoes and working at McDonald's and, and selling cars, believe it or not. And so Professor Fisher she says, oh, I'm going to get you a job at a little CPA firm. And so I get a job at a little CPA firm, and debits and credits and all that. And, and I come back to her and I'm like, hey, Professor Fisher, I'm like, I don't know about this. You know, this is not my thing. And, uh, and she, she goes, Matt, you know, what does Scott do? And he was the, the partner. And, and I said, he comes in for a couple hours and he talks on the phone and he leaves. And, <laughs> and she's like, exactly, that could be you someday. And so I was like, oh, I get it. I see it. I get it. All right, I see what you're saying, you know. Um, and so, um, you know, for me, the, the accounting and education really uh, 
gave me a chance to have the life I wanted. You know, I, th I think of Wayne State, and there's a lot of first-generation Americans, first-generation college students, and uh, I see an opportunity to help all of you with that same growth. And I know that not all of you are going to be accountants, and that is very, very, very okay. Well, I don't know if there are enough accountants in the world, but they'll always be needed. I know that. I really liked uh, being around uh, universities, and I liked helping young people. I mean, what's, what's smaller scale than one person? When I had the opportunity to start teaching um, about four years ago, I said, yeah, like, let's, let's do it. And it was really um, the best part of my week. I, I really didn't think when this job kind of came, you know, frankly, thought it would be something that probably would have happened, you know, 20 years down the road. But it just kind of felt right. I've worked at consulting. I've worked at big companies. I've worked at small companies. And so this was new. And yeah. it was a new chance, chance to learn something new. I don't know if I'll be here for 40 years or what, but I just was a op new opportunity to learn and a new opportunity to, to help people. And so it made a lot of sense. Fit with where you wanted to go fit, and fit, what you wanted to do. Fit with where I wanted to be. As we wrap this up. What are some really good resources that you've come across that you would want to share with any young professionals, anyone listening? I'll give you the fun ones first. Okay. I adore Gary Vaynerchuk. I, uh, I know he swears a lot, but I think that his message is a very, very good one. It's very positive. His, his message of um, giving without expectation, his message of really putting people first, his message of being true to yourself, I think are all important and I can't help but see his social media posts and get a little jazzed. Um, <laughs> when it comes to leadership, you know, I think Simon Sinek is, is uh, excellent. I think that he really does a great job of articulating what leaders should be. Beyond that, I think uh, there's, there's so many business books out there um, and, and self-help books and um, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I mean, the most transformative book that I've read in recent memory isn't even a business book, and it was Sapiens, because it really um, helped me understand how this evolutionary software of humans was built. Uh, and so I think any anything that helps you become more self-aware is a good thing to do. But, you know, really the most important resource that any young people can have is mentors. Um, and when I was young, I often felt like uh, I'd had kind of a, a kind of a no one has a truly lone wolf Horatio Alger, Alger uh, life, right? Mm -hmm. Like no, no man is an island, no woman is an island. Um, but I kind of fought it because I said, well, I've made it this far on my own, you know, so why do I need mentors? And when I was younger, I didn't, I wasn't into it okay. as much, which is a shame because I really think it's the, the biggest and I probably had some that I just didn't, you know, I didn't, didn't, jive didn't with. say, or I didn't, it wasn't like formal. I was like, oh yeah, like I hang, I get coffees with so-and-so once in a while. Yeah, but I, I, yeah. In my head, it wasn't, you know. You didn't have the word for it. I didn't there have the word the for it. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's, that's just my friend who just... <laughs> happens to be 20 years older than me and a lot more successful. But yeah, so you just gotta, you just gotta surround yourself with good people, pick good friends. Um, you know, I think two traps for young people, one, being envious of your friends. If your friends win, you should be really excited because that means you have winners in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, another trap is counting your money or other people's money too closely. You should always trade experience for money when you're young. Huh. I was bad at that too for a while. I would be really focused on counting money instead of experience. 
it just happened. I mean, I was an accountant, so you, so it's you, in, you have to, in your nature. It was we like to count things, especially money. <laughs> Another outside of the box idea that I like to share. I haven't tried this personally. Do as I say, not as I do. Stand-up comedy lessons really help you with your people skills because it helps you learn how to speak extemporaneously, gives you confidence in front of a crowd. Those are two really powerful skills to have, especially with people. Well, Matt, I uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks for trucking down here. What is a good way for people to get a hold of you? Um, I'm uh, I'm not a Twitter person. Not a Twitter. I know it's a bummer. It's really <laughs> there's already so many things to keep track of. The best way to get a hold of me is probably my Wayne State email, and that's M-A-T-T-H-E-W dot R-O-L-I-N-G at Wayne dot E-D-U. Perfect. And then are you on LinkedIn? Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. Well, I really, I really liked walking through this because you have such a vast array of different experience <laughs> and it really captures how much learning is involved and, and how much opportunity there is if you just want to take another step and go a little outside of your comfort zone. I'm probably the, one of the only people on planet Earth that went from uh, leading a tech startup to running an accounting department. <laughs> and uh, But I love that. I mean, that's I love that, that versatility and and trust me it was a change you know there's nothing there's nothing stopping you from doing the thing if, if you're if you want to if you really want to do something you can find a way to do it roll up your sleeves and go try stuff and um i'm proud of all the interesting weird things that i've done and and they really give me this rich body of knowledge and experience to draw from at the end of the day all businesses is working with other people to solve problems and that was our show with Matt Rowling, the director of the accounting program at Wayne State University. Now, it's really tough to pick what I like most about that episode. Matt just drops gold nugget after gold nugget of wisdom, which really makes it valuable for us younger professionals. At the end of the day, it all comes down to figuring out what you want to do and then acting on that. With Taste for Tenacity, show number four, this is Ben Trella. Thanks for listening.